Welcome to Scrummy Handshakes. This is Sheldon. We're here again, another lovely, lovely week. And we're talking about another masterclass. This week we're going to take on Season 3, Episode 15. This is the Christmas masterclass. But first, what's been going on? I spent a whole week in Houston, Texas for work. And uh, lots and lots of foods. Not a lot of bakery goods. And a few things they brought in. They had a bakery, one of those kind of chain bakeries. They brought in some stuff there. I'm going to give them some props, though, for tortillas. They make some fantastic tortillas in Texas. A lot of, well, I mean, a lot of people from Mexico or in, you know, or heritage from Mexico or in Texas. And so it was a lot of great, uh, good, uh, original recipe cooking going on down there. And they, but they just are just different. They're just really, really good tortillas. And uh, so I, I, something I always wished I could make well. I've never tried. Don't know if I will because you can get some decent ones from the store. Um, but uh, I tell you, when you get a good one, it's something, something different. Where have I been baking? Well, a couple things. I first start with the easy one, cookies. Cookie Factory was in operation this week. I had a couple of little get-togethers to go to, so I whipped up the Cookie Factory. Went with the traditional. I, I like those. The, the, the recipe I like for chocolate chip cookies in the back of the Ghirardelli bag. Um, I just I find that recipe to come out the best for me. I like it better than the Toll House cookies or any other cookie I found. I like the consistency I get with it. Um, I like the texture of the cookie I get. Just soft enough. It's pliable. Um, I don't want a super crispy chocolate chip cookie when I'm making homemade cookies. Um, but I, I did a little different this time. I added, instead of doing just traditional all Ghirardelli chocolate chips, I added, um, I did about a quarter of them were uh white chocolate chips and so i you know i instead of the full 12 ounces of chocolate chips i did eight ounces of semi-sweet and then added in uh four ounces of the white chocolate chips and then traditional pecans that i like to put in the cookies but uh they came out really good and i got a lot of a lot of nice reviews from those and they didn't last long at the event that uh we were at um and then okay i finally did it i've been talking about this this is a long weekend for me and we have uh, Monday off, it's a Juneteenth um, celebration uh, that my company uh, recognizes, which I'm pretty proud of. And um, it's a long weekend, so I had an extra day. And so I, you know, I can get my chores and stuff done on Monday or whatever I need to do. Uh, but I decided to take on puff pastry. I did it. I took it on. Uh, so I followed uh, Paul's recipe from the master class is the one I used. And, uh, you know, got myself some really nice butter. Uh, then I, you know, followed the recipe. I didn't use my hands to mix it, but I didn't use a mixer either. I just took like the dough hook and I used that as my mixer. I didn't want to get into it. I don't know. I just, I felt like I was going to be having too many things going on. So I used the dough hook as my mixer and I just kind of used my hand in the dough hook to kind of get the, the mix going together and get the feel for it and stuff like that. So a little bit of a compromise versus Paul's method, but I, I tried that. And then the folding, all of the folding. And of course, Paul always makes it look so easy to get that nice rectangular shape and the perfect shaping and stuff. I did okay with it. Um, I'm a little worried I messed up in terms of the number of folds. I was try trying to understand, like he would say, uh, you know, he would show it go, the, the fold over, and then he kind of turned it, rolled it out, and folded again. That was one turn. And I wasn't sure if... That was, I got a little confused with what a full turn was. Uh, I'll just put it that way. Uh, but anyways, I, I went through the process. I tried to keep it nice and cold when I did it. Um, I even, what I, I have a marble rolling pin. And so I would put that in the freezer uh, as I made, as, as I rolled it out. I had a really, really cold rolling pin. So I think that was helpful. Uh, I, uh, so I had my dough and I let it rest overnight. Uh, I decided to cut it in half so that I could have two shots at making something. So I was going to make, um, I didn't know, you know, I had this puff pastry. I'm like, what am I going to make with it? And that was the big decision I had. I didn't want to go any, any tart root or, you know, I say tarts, you know, I mean, little muffin cup things or anything like that. I wanted to keep it pretty simple. I found a recipe that had, um, it was just kind of like almost like a chocolate chip 
roll, you know, imagine like a puff pastry with like chocolate chips in it. And I, I, so I took the first batch and I, I looked at this recipe and, and I made little, little rectangles. I decided I want to put a little more in. So I did a little few white chocolate chips and then some, a little bit of coconut and then a few slivered almonds. And then I wanted to cook it and I found the temperature and all that stuff. And I, and it, and it said, cook until golden brown. That's all it said. It did not give any time or anything like that. So I was a little nervous about that. Uh, and shame on me. I really should have looked for more recipes <laughs> to understand how much time to cook this stuff. Because I didn't cook it enough. Uh, I watched it. it. It started to puff a little bit. I was like, okay, that's good. And then it looked, it got really golden brown. I did not egg wash it or anything. I, I kind of regretted that, I think. But... They they looked pretty golden brown, like they were really brown on top. I'll post a picture of them. I I think I have the picture, um, on Instagram on Scrummy Handshakes. So I pulled them out, let them rest, and then I said, okay, I only made four. I, I had enough, you know. I said I cut the the batch in half, so I had enough to make four of these. And I cut one in half, and it just doesn't done enough. I mean, it doesn't. It wasn't awful. I mean, I, I went through and kind of pulled this apart and ate, ate it, and it tasted good. It just was underdone. It was underbaked. Uh, I didn't give it enough time to, to really get those flaky, puffy layers. Uh, and it just, may, I may have had too much filling as another combo, but I only cooked it like, I want to say 12 minutes, 10, 12 minutes. And it got really, it was pretty golden brown. I was like, man, I don't want to burn them. So I took them out and, and I regretted it because um, it just, they, they weren't done enough. All right, but I, I was smart enough to cut it in half, so I had two cracks, two cracks at the goal here. I went and researched a little more to try to find some times on how long to cook something similar, uh, and so I found one of them for apple turnovers or something. It said like twenty two minutes or twenty to twenty two minutes or whatever it was. Um, I was like, oh, okay, and they were different because there's apple turnovers. I guess it's a wetter, moister thing. But I'm like, okay, I have to really cook this longer and just watch it, I guess. And so I decided to to make these again, uh, just using regular. I didn't want to mess it with it. I just threw regular chocolate chips in there, just a chocolate chip puff pastry, simple, easy peasy. And then I did egg egg wash it. I did put some egg wash on it because I wanted it because the ones that uh, I cooked first were a little, um, I'm gonna call it dull looking. They didn't have a nice sheen, and so I did yeah, egg wash it. Okay, put it in. And at about that same time, it looked that golden brown like I had the first time, that, that 10, 12 minutes. I'm like, okay, but I'm going to let go. I'm going to let it ride. And I'm glad I did because it did fluff up. It, it got really puffy, uh, did the puff pastry look that you kind of wanted. And uh, it looked pretty good. It looked pretty darn good, I got to say. And I was pleased. You know, one of them was a little wonky, but the other three looked looked decent. So I took them out uh, and let them cool and... I was supposed to sprinkle a little powdered sugar on. So uh, my wife got me this nice little, uh, she, she got some more containers. Uh, we're just sidebar. We've gone container crazy here at, at the household. We've got the container store. Uh, if you've never been to it, it will, it will basically take all your money, but it will give you all the joy because you have all these little nice little containers. She was really nice. And she put them all, she's got them. All my stuff is now in these nice little containers. <laughs> I came to learn I have about three containers worth of chocolate. So, yeah, you know, there are worse problems to have. Anyway, so um, I took I, one of these containers has a, little, has a little powdered sugar sprinkler. It's designed for powdered sugar. It has a little sprinkler in it, which is kind of awesome. So I got my little powdered sugar out and did my little sprinkle on top. And and then, uh, let him, you know, took them over to my in-laws. This was for our Father's Day. And so we went to see my, my uh, mother and father-in-law. And we cut into one there. And not bad. Not bad. Sheldon did all right with that one. Sheldon did all right. Um, I okay. So I'm going to be self-critical on this. I expected it to have more light lightness to it. I may have overworked it. So I think maybe with my turns, I overworked it or or didn't didn't do something quite right. I did see like Paul had talked about that marbling. I did see some of that, so I think it was okay, but I may have overworked it or not let it rest long enough. Maybe that was it between turns. Um, I maybe could have let it go longer between turns. Maybe that was uh, something I could learn from, but 
I'll try it again when I have some more time. I, I, I like to take some long vacation towards the end of the year and uh, I'll probably try it again before that, but definitely during the end, end of the year, I'm going to be really into baking. I'm going to bake a ton during the, the holidays at the end of the year. But um, uh, so that was my adventure in puff. I recommend if, you, if you're scared of it, don't be. Just try it. It's, it was kind of fun. It was really kind of fun trying to get those layers and the folding. and and But watch that masterclass with Paul. And, um, and uh, you know, he'll give you some good techniques there. That was, that was a really good one. Anyways, so I wanted to do the um, uh, where are they now thing. Uh, we did it last week with uh, Brendan. Uh, this week, I'm going to go back to, to season one and the winner of season one. So this was well, probably 2010, I guess, right? So 13 some odd years ago, it was Ed Kimber was the winner of season one. And I was just curious, you know, where is he now? You know, did, what did winning the first Bake Off do for, for Ed Kimber? Well, uh, he was a banker, I guess. And, and after he won uh, Bake Off, he decided to, to leave banking. Uh, and go all in on baking. And so that's what he did. Uh, he, he does a lot of writing, I guess. So he's, he's been published in a lot of uh, well-known uh, publications. Washington Post, I believe, was one of them. And several other things. He has written uh, six baking books. So six cookbook baking books. Uh, and uh, he has an Instagram account. Uh, I read an article that said this was in 2022, January. And he had 311,000 uh, followers then I just checked now I decided to follow him with our scrummy handshakes uh, Instagram he now has like 420 so he's gone up like 30 some about 30 percent or so uh, in just a year so he's he's building that following really well it's uh the Instagram is the boy who bakes and uh, that's also uh, I believe his newsletter I, he has a newsletter you can subscribe to there's a free version of it uh, and there was also a paid version. And so I'm going to give him a follow and, and see what happens and see what kind of what kind of content the, the first winner of Bake Off is generating. So uh, uh, Ed Kimber, season one winner. That's where they are now. OK, let's jump into season three, episode 15, Christmas version. Let's see. There's Christmas cake, Christmas pudding, uh, a mince pie, a panettone, a what else? There was a. Something that Paul made that was kind of like a his own dish. It was like a what do you want to call it? Christmas Chelsea buns, I guess, was what they were. And then um, I believe that was oh a a bouche de Noël, which was basically a chocolate Yule log kind of thing. Uh, those were the six recipes this time around. Um, lots of great things. First one they did Christmas cake. Christmas cake. This is essentially, if you're American, this is essentially fruitcake. That's what it looked like to me. But it's fruitcake that is um, kind of covered or frosted. Um, well, let's say fr frost is not the right word. It's kind of covered um, with with like royal icing. Uh, uh, and then uh, I think some marzipan is thrown into this this mix as well. Uh, the, the big key to this, the thing I really noticed about it was the time. Um it's not really the time to make it. It's the time you have to wait during the steps of making it. Uh, for example, the fruit. You, you start with like about a quarter pint of brandy uh, and then like some cherries, some con some uh, uh, some raisins, some uh, currants, and then some other, other things that are kind of in, in a bowl. You, you dump the, the brandy or, or cognac or whatever you use. <laughs> and then you basically let it soak for three days you gotta let it soak for like three days so the fruit soaks up basically all of the liquid um so you would think wow that's a lot of brains where's that gonna go well it goes into the fruit and the fruit soaks it right up um there's just three days of time there and uh, we'll, and then we'll get into the other steps here in a minute uh they use a little bit of treacle i, I gotta look up what treacle is <laughs> i'm sorry I, it, it's not a common ingredient in the u.s at least um it to me it looks like molasses uh, I don't know if it is the same thing or not, but it looks like molasses. But Mary gave a really good tip here. Um, and I think you could probably use this for something like molasses or honey or whatever. Uh, she said basically with that, dip the, the, the measuring spoon, if it's metal or whatever, into like hot water to like get it warm, get nice and hot. Then you pour the, the treacle into it or scoop, whatever you do, and it, it kind of slide off a lot easier. 
good tip, I think, because a lot of times you'll these really sticky things you'll get into the the, the the measuring spoon or whatever, and then it'll just kind of stick there, and you have to kind of get your finger in there and mess around with it and all that stuff. And uh, this, if it comes off a lot easier, it, I'm sure it'll it'll make it much more pleasurable to work with. Uh, now with this one, pretty basic cake recipe. You know, you, you, you do all the things you expect her to do. Uh, it's again, Mary with the origami, the Mary origami. I like to call it, call it, or I know it's origami. I'm just trying to make it rhyme with Mary, but, uh, the lining of the tin is all the, the cutting. And so you get the nice turn and bends, uh, she gets that liner on the bottom. Now there was a good tip here though, uh, with the parchment paper. So the tin was maybe, I don't know, two, three inches high. She said, have that parchment paper about twice the height of the tin. Why? Well, it will help prevent the top from burning. I thought that was a pretty good tip. I hadn't heard that before. I guess it makes sense. You're kind of blocking the heat from, from kind of directly coming into the top, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure how it works from a physics perspective. I, I would assume the whole oven is hot, but whatever. It, you're not having it come across the surface maybe of the cake or something. Uh, but she said if you do that, it will, it will help keep it from burning. Um, and then this thing uh, takes four hours to bake. So you put in, you, it's like four hours of baking. Um, and then, they, and, and here's, again, this is one of those moments. They say, check it at like two hours to make sure it's not too brown. Okay, what's too brown? I don't know what too brown is. Um, you know, is it, <laughs> is it halfway to full cooked brown? Or I don't know what what it should look like in two hours. I kind of wish when they had, when they say that, because there's a decision to make. If you're at two hours and it's looking quote too brown, you have to, you're supposed to cover it with foil at that point. I'm like, okay, but how do I know? What, what is, what does it look like? I kind of wish they would show it at two hours, whether it's exactly what it's supposed to look like. Like, okay, this is fine at two hours. Don't do anything. That would be a great reference point. Or, hey, this is a little too dark for two hours. Put foil on top. That would have been a really nice addition to the tip. They do this a lot. They'll say, if something looks too something, then take action. And I'm like, but they didn't show you what, it, what wrong looks like or what right looks like. One of those two reference points would be really valuable to make a decision, I think. Um, that's why I like one of my criticisms of some of these masterclass things. Um, okay. But again, if you haven't judged it right, it's kind of too late at that point. Uh, <laughs> can't do it at the end, but she showed, they do show the cake at the end. It's nice and dark Brown. I'm like, okay, that's what it should look like at the end, but that's too late to help me. Uh, anyways, the cake should be done. You pull, you, you test the middle and pull it out. Clean middle. Great. Done after four hours, uh, and then you cover it, you let it cool and cover it with marzipan. Uh, they put a jam layer on it first to kind of protect it from moisture and also kind of act as a glue and keep crumbs from, from getting in that marzipan. And, uh, and then again, you let it sit for three days. So cover it, mar you, you get the marzipan covered, then you let it sit for three days. That's crazy. Um, and then the, the final cover for it, the final layer is, uh, a royal icing and she makes this kind of pretty basic recipe you, you know in the in the mixer it's kind of a nice glossy looking icing and she just kind of fluffs it on there's no fancy piping or anything she kind of fluffs it on spreads it it's almost marshmallowy but it's not really it's it just kind of you know looked like marshmallow from from the looks of it and then you kind of let that dry and and harden a little bit um before you then just basically put a ribbon and any decoration you want on it uh but they do at the end, they kind of say, we recommend you make this three weeks in advance. So apparently this is a hearty cake that will uh, last a while. So that's what most is like fruitcake. Fruitcake here can, it's basically uh, bomb proof and, and you can uh, have that anytime. So anyways, that was the first recipe, Christmas cake. Um, again, not sure this is one I would make. First, first of all, the time. I mean, <laughs> I barely have the patience. Uh, you know, me getting uh, puff pastry done was was pretty pretty uh, 
uh, about the limit of my patience when it comes to these things. Though I say I do want to do croissants, which can sometimes take a couple of days. Um, but I'm not sure if this is one. Plus, I'm not a huge fruitcake fan. Uh, it's not something that that rings my bell too well. Uh, all right, mince pies. This one was again very very simple. Um, they did a little history of the little history of mince pies and stuff, and they talked about it, which was kind of cool. If you want to watch the master class, um, it's kind of a neat little history. And they make they eat like 70 million of these each year in the UK, so that's a ton of little mince pies. Uh, you know, they're like kind of cupcake size things. And um, the big secret to this year, it, it's kind of a sweet. It's a sweet short crust recipe. So it's a short crust pastry that's that's sweet because uh, there's, there's a decent amount of sugar in it, about 125 grams of caster sugar in the recipe versus uh, 375 grams of flour. And um, so it, it all have some sweet sweetness to it, a high sugar content kind of crust. And this is Paul again. He likes to get in there with his hands. Uh, I think, did he get the, uh, you know what? I'm, questioning myself if he went with hands on that one he may have, he may have gone mixture with this one there's one recipe he does he does mixture with i think that no it was panettone he did the, the mixer i don't i think he was in with his hands on this one uh oh yeah actually i have a note yeah so he actually gets him kind of mix it with hands he does you know it's, he's kind of gentle with it um and then he you know gets it out and it, it's a very very workable kind of crust by the looks of it and when they're making it, they put these in like little cupcake tins. You know, there's a couple of cutters you got to have. I swear the one thing about this show that um, makes me, uh, I say the one thing, uh, that gets me in trouble <laughs> is that uh, I have to, I keep seeing these things that if I want to make these recipes, oh yeah, you have to have this or that or the other thing. And you suppose you could get away with it, but I looked at these and he had these cutters, these pastry cutters he's doing this with, and they're all different sizes, there's numbers on them and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, I guess I need some cutters now. So I'm pretty much visiting Amazon after this podcast. Um, but anyway, so he, he makes them, he puts them, the little cups in, and they note when they're working with it. You know, Mary's working with the crushes. It's a very robust crush. It seems very workable. You don't have to be gen super gentle with it. Um, she was surprised by the structure. And this is where Paul kind of says it's more robust because it's only been touched by hand. And, and, uh, you know, uh, so he kind of, he, he takes that as an advantage, I guess, that you only worked it by hand. It, it gives it a, a better structure, I guess. I don't know. But, um, with these, you don't have to blind bake these mince pies, uh, because of the high sugar content. So that was a takeaway. Um, these sweet crusts don't necessarily need to blind bake because of the sugar content in them. Uh, they will brown up and, and cook up easier uh, when filled. So he didn't do it. But anyways, the rest of the recipe is very simple. You basically take some, some uh, mince meat. Uh, he added some fruit, uh, tangerines and uh, apples. Um, the tangerine was kind of a unique spin on it. I, had, I hadn't seen them do that with mince pies before. And, uh, and he puts the zest of the, the first of the tangerine rind in it and then actually chops up the tangerines and puts it into the mix as well mary really loved that idea of it and when they ate the pies she she noted that um but then you basically bake them I, I put the egg wash on bake them up and 22 minutes later you get some nice little mince pies that was really quick the recipe is a very very quick recipe this is what i might try i don't know what i would put in the middle though i don't know i'm a huge fan of the little fruits but um I don't know. I mean, uh, it'd be interesting to try with something in the middle. Uh, this this sweet crust could be could be very interesting with almost any kind of filling, I would think. Uh, so I may give this one a wing. Um, doesn't look too hard. Uh, I just need the cutters, of course, to get to get my little rounds the right size, of course, right? So here we come, Amazon. Um, <laughs> cutters will be here probably soon. Um, all right. So then we moved on uh, to the. Uh, the, the bouche de noël which is the, essentially a chocolate yule log and, and so this is a kind of a swiss roll uh in, in the middle uh covered with ganache essentially and that was really kind of it um now again this is one of those things where you kind of need the tools so i probably won't make this one because i can't see myself doing too many swiss rolls in my future uh mary has a swiss roll 10 i imagine you might be able to use something else but I don't know. I have to maybe look into that. Uh, she had a special Swiss roll tin, and she noted again that 
So she doesn't have to go rifling, figuring out sizes. She writes the sizes on the bottom of the tin, on the, sorry, the non-baked, the non-food side of the tin. She's got this written on. So she can just kind of look at it. She had the dimensions right there. And there you go. Um, now with this one here, she's, she's lined it with baking parchment. Now it looks like she's using a foil lined parchment. I don't know how common that is here. I have yet to see a foil lined parchment in the store. Um, I guess I could probably get it on, you know, again, Amazon or a baking supply store or something like that. But I don't know how common that is here. I don't know how, how critical that is, whether that reflective nature of the foil is needed. Um, I just don't know. I mean, I, I tend to use just regular parchment paper for these kinds of things. Uh, but hers, this one looked foil lined and she did, but she didn't say use foil lined. She said use baking parchment. Uh, maybe in the, in the UK that means foil lined. I don't know. The big key to this recipe when making the, 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 the cake was, uh, be careful not to overdo it or the volume will go down. That was the big take. So you just kind of want to mix things, you know, kind of lightly mix it in until the, there's no streaking of the cocoa. You, it, it all kind of looks blended. The, the cocoa isn't streaking in there. Uh, that was really a big takeaway from this recipe. Um, in terms of the mixing is you, you mix it too much. You're going to knock all the air, all the volume out of it. The air will come out of it and you'll have a very dense, thick Swiss roll, which is not, not a good look. Um, then the other big takeaway from this recipe, uh, like, I guess there's a couple more, but one of these was the rolling technique. So once that Swiss roll is, is, is baked, which doesn't take long because it's, it's such a thin cake, right? Uh, they basically, uh, she, turns it out onto um, some uh, icing sugar on a parchment paper. So it's turned out onto that, right? So icing sugar on top of parchment, turns out the cake, big puff of icing sugar everywhere. And then while it's still hot, or still pretty warm, you, right along the long edge, she, she like almost cuts it, not all the way through, but maybe, you know, maybe three quarters of the way through. She gives it a nice, she was using a butter knife, so not a sharp knife, just kind of giving it, a little starter cut there because uh, then she takes that parchment paper kind of tucks it in where that little notch is so it gets really in there and it's, it's it's a tight tight rolled cake so she rolls it up as tight as she can to get that she calls it a little sausage it kind of is what it is it's, it's like a you're, you're making it a very very tight swiss roll and while it's still warm it's still hot right then she sets that aside to go and cool then she gets into making uh, the rest of it. So, uh, what's what's the rest? Well, there's whipped cream. That's straightforward. Heavy whipping cream, you know, kind of whipped up um, to to make your whipped cream. And then the ganache. Ganache again is a very simple. You take heavy cream. You get it kind of really warm. You don't want it boiling. You get kind of that simmer point, right? Uh, and then she just kind of adds the chocolate to it. Now, the key to it, though, she says, is that most people. We'll make ganache that's just too hot. They'll use a cream that's too hot or, or, or if they're using a, uh, a double boiler to melt chocolate, they'll let it get too hot. Uh, and when that happens, it, you kind of, the, the structure of the chocolate changes and it loses its shine. Like the ganache will get dull. And that's the, a telltale sign you've used too much heat. It's, she says it's the biggest mistake people make with melting chocolate. And yeah, I've, I've heard that many, many times. Uh, as well it's really about uh you know just enough to melt and she makes a very good point she said chocolate will melt in a child's pocket it doesn't need a lot of heat and she's totally right it doesn't need a ton of heat it will melt and so remembering that when you when you get that that milk warm uh you basically just want to uh to, to get it so it's melted up and it'll have that nice glossy finish Nice glossy fish. And then she'll let it go and cool. Uh, now, she unrolls the Swiss roll, you know, fills it with whipped cream, making sure that whipped cream gets in every little, that little notch and everything. And then using the paper, now you don't want to roll, obviously you don't roll the paper back anyway, but she uses that paper to guide the Swiss roll so she can still get a really nice tight roll of the log right and so she's she's pulling the paper up and pushing it against the 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 cake getting a nice tight tight roll and it looks great um 
takes it and then basically kind of she takes one end of it she cuts it at a diagonal right then takes that piece and kind of flips it around it becomes like a a branch off of the log i thought that was really clever i thought that was really clever um like oh that's kind of cool so you have one end that's kind of got a diagonal cut and then that piece is then used as a branch that's popping off the side of the log and um i thought that was a really neat little trick uh for sure um but the big takeaways again that 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 rolling technique the uh the uh melting of the chocolate the being careful not to over mix that was a big one to get that nice swiss roll that uh cake uh, that that you want right uh anyway so again she just basically piped it on she said you don't have to pipe it you can spread it on and make it look like bark do whatever you want she put it in a piping bag and just kind of kind of piped it on the outside it looked, it looked great of course and a little sprinkle of sugar a couple little decos and you're good to go all right panettone now traditionally panettone um almost has a uh, cake-like texture to it if you ever had it before um you can get them you see them they they must be kind of like a fruitcake in a way because i see them in stores like um if you go into say uh we have something called like you know cost plus world market I and mean, they have a lot of holiday kind of things in them and around the holidays around the, the christmas holiday and stuff they'll have panettones and they're kind of just in a box and seems like they've been made and shipped and all that stuff and so they must last pretty well paul takes a little different spin on it he almost and he even says it's kind of a mix between french and italian where it's more of a brioche kind of texture so it's it's a little less more like brioche less like cake uh, but full of like almonds and fruit and all that stuff so that was uh Interesting. And so one of the first things you notice right away, when you start putting the ingredients in, the, the yeast that he uses, it's actually quite a bit of yeast for that amount of flour. Um, now, again, there's, you know, you kind of, if you, if you watch him long enough, you realize how he's using X amount grams of yeast and X grams of flour. And you kind of in your head or, or say, okay, what kind of ratio is that? Um, you got to get that. And, and this would be a high ratio versus what he normally does. Well, the big reason is, he explains, is, well, because this has a ton of fruit in it, it's a heavy, uh, it, it, it weighs this batter down. So to get it to rise and get enough rise in it, you need that extra yeast uh, to be able to do that. And uh, he also uses the, tries to keep the ingredients pretty warm here. At room temperature eggs, he adds warm milk to it, not cold. Um, or even he said warmed milk, so it's probably even beyond room temperature. So when he adds that in, it'll get things get things cooking pretty quick. Uh, I say cooking, you know what I mean. And gets it, you know, percolating, as they say. Now he puts that. He actually, this is the one he uses. Actually, uses a mixer for. He's got the dough hook in there, and he's watching it. He says, you know, it's about five minutes or so of of it dough hooking with this stuff in there, and uh, so he he lifts it out. Uh, when you lift it out, you, you start to see that uh, webbing, that stretchy webbing. That lets you know that it, you're, you're forming the gluten that you need. So if you if you if you mix it for a bit and lift it out, you don't have that kind of stretchy webbing look. You haven't done enough. And so when you finally get that, he said about five minutes. You lift it out. You start to see that stretch webbing. All right, now you can add the butter. So then he puts the butter in does it another five minutes but he says you may have to stop it kind of midway uh to kind of scrape the butter off the sides because you want to make sure that butter just isn't sticking to the side of the bowl um you want to make sure you scrape it down and get it in there and then again you're looking for that nice stretchy webbing uh to, to get that uh that look and he also gave another great point here another great tip it will be done when that dough has a buttery sheen so imagine like the glisten coating of butter on something that dough when you look at it should have that coating that color that buttery sheen that means it's kind of done okay so once you get that look on your dough boom you're done so that was a really good really good tip now this is a chilled dough so 
you take the dough out, you kind of, it's a, it's in the little bowl and you cover it with, with kind of the plastic wrap. You put it in the fridge and let it chill. He says that lets it start to ferment. Uh, and also the important point here is it starts to chill the butter. Okay. So remember you've used like kind of room temperature butter to get things rolling here. Now you're putting, you let it, so this has got to sit overnight. He said it was really important. You got to let this thing sit overnight because it's going to be cold. It's going to take longer to do its thing. But when he pulled it out out of the fridge the next day, it had grown quite a bit. That carbon dioxide had formed a, you know, had stretched the cling wrap. And so you had that little, that, that cling wrap bubble that we, that I've talked about before. Uh, so it was really important that you let it happen overnight. Not, this isn't a short rise kind of thing. It's a overnight kind of thing. All right. So then, again, okay, let's make the panettone. So he gets it on, on, the, on the bench. He works it. He's working it into kind of a, uh, I'm going to say a ball, for lack of a better term, because it's got to go into yet another special pan. This was a, a panettone pan, which if you've ever seen a panettone, it's a kind of a tall bread. Uh, it's, you know, it's probably twice as tall as it is wide. So essentially, it looks like to me, like a paint can. You know, you go to the store, you get a big pan of paint, well, paint with a little handle on it. That's what it looked like. So I'm, to my, myself, I'm like, huh, I don't want to buy a Panettone pan. I wonder if I could just go buy a paint can and it will work. You can buy paint cans at like the hardware store. Uh, so the curiosity in me has got me got me scratching my head a lot. I wonder if I could get away from having to buy a Panettone pan. Not that I'm going to dive into this recipe anyway. It's not something I was super excited about, but... I am not buying a panettone pan. I'm sure that would be a little more than I'd want to spend. Um, but again, the, the the big keys to this recipe is patience and time, right? Making sure you give the dough hook long enough time to get that stretchy webbiness, that buttery sheen, that nice rise in the fridge. Um, those were really important. And he, he stressed that a few times during, during the make of the bake. Uh, but um, you may see something in the future, the Sheldon's paint can panettone. Let's see how that, how that goes. All right. A couple more bakes here. Uh, oh, uh, so Christmas pudding is the next one. Pudding. You know, to me, it's, I, I call it wet cake, but it's uh, kind of what they call it, Christmas pudding. They did a sidebar. I like when they throw these in sometimes, and I love the history of them, uh, about Christmas pudding. This was really talking about they had like the oldest Christmas pudding in Britain, apparently. Uh, it was in kind of a little tin, uh, 112 years old. Obviously not something you want to eat, uh, but you could see it was in like this little little tin that was given to sailors, apparently, um, during the holidays one year. And like the side had kind of rusted and then you could see inside that the, the, the pudding was still in there. And so it was kind of cool to see that. But the whole story was kind of really, really neat from a historic standpoint. You could see uh, it was like Miss Weston's uh, Christmas pudding or something like that. And um, but Miss, I guess Agnes Weston or known as Aggie Weston was like a hero uh, to British sailors during that time frame, that time period. She basically created these these uh in the ports created almost like these little boarding houses because what would happen was the british soldiers would land um in the port and they didn't have anywhere to go so they'd go to pubs or whatever essentially drink their night away and then stumble around looking for a place to 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 crash under a bridge or whatever uh until they could get back onto the ship the next day well she decided to to make these little boarding homes for sailors where they could come in, get a cup of coffee and a nice meal and, and a, a place to, to rest for a bit. Um, and she started to do this uh, in different, different places in, in the UK. And then she would uh, build these relationships with the sailors. And she would actually write them letters. She started writing them letters, telling them basically just what the news was or whatever. Because a lot of these sailors came from backgrounds where they didn't have families or their families didn't know how to read or write. So they wouldn't get any communication. She took it under her own uh, will to start communicating with him. So if finally this got big enough where she had to say, okay, I can't write all these individual letters. I need to do something. She kind of kicked off a newsletter, for lack of a better term, that eventually got sent up to like 
55,000 people every month or something. And it was pretty neat. You know, this person kind of dedicated her life to, to these kind of things. And, and then one year they wanted to send these, these uh, care packages or something. And she's, you know, she kind of said, well, I want to send my Christmas, my famous Christmas pudding to them. And so that's how this came about. And so Miss Weston's Christmas pudding in the tins were sent out to the sailors as a, as a little thing. And when she finally passed away, uh, she was the first woman ever buried with full naval honors. Um, she meant that much to these sailors. And so I thought that was a really fascinating sidebar story. And, um, you know, I told it best I could there. Obviously, watch the episode. You'll get more. But it's always neat to find those people in history and how they have an impact. And this this one even had an impact through baking, which I thought was kind of fun. So Christmas pudding, again, this is relatively one of those ones that, uh, in basis, is pretty simple. You know, the, the batter was pretty straightforward. Uh, lots of apricots, apples, and, and uh, dried fruits. Again, they use, quote, cooking apples. I really wish they'd give a, a varietal uh, of what was used. I don't know if that's a standard variety. If, if you go to a British or UK store, if it says cooking apples or not, I don't know. I don't recall seeing those too much here in the U.S. Um, I'm sure there are varieties you could pick out that would be better for cooking, but I don't know what they use or what even you know, the flavor profile of the apple. Um, Muscovado sugar. To me, again, I think this is just brown sugar. <laughs> it's I think it, you know, it might be slightly different. I think again, if we if I remember correctly, we talked about it last week or two weeks ago. It's um the molasses is kind of left in it. So it may have a little bit more of a uh punchy flavor than say a uh a refined brown sugar would, but essentially it's probably gonna be relatively similar. Uh she had a good good tip tip here, good pointer here. Um, sometimes brown sugar or this Moscovado sugar will get lumps in it. Um, and, you know, sometimes it can get kind of hard. She recommends just, you know, you can actually microwave them a little bit and it will soften it and the lumps will come right out. I'm like, oh, well, that's a neat tip. If You know, in here in the U.S., you, you know, brown sugar absolutely will, will kind of clump up and get hard. A lot of times we have these little... They're often, I don't know why, where this came from. They're in the shape of a bear. They're called brown sugar bears. But they're just little ceramic, just ceramics, basically. They're made out of ceramic, and uh, they're flat. And you basically soak them in water um, every few months or whatever. And then you, you kind of put it in a, in a, in a you know, wrap it in plastic or whatever, and then put it in with the sugar. And that will keep the sugar kind of moist, I guess, or at, at a right humidity. It's almost like a sugar humidor, for lack of a better term. Again, they make containers in which I explained in my container obsession. My wife got me one that for brown sugar specifically that has a little one of these discs built in. This is not a bear. It's it's just a little ceramic disc, but same premise. Uh, it's in the container and keeps the, keeps the brown sugar uh, moist. So, uh, But anyway, this microwave trick could be something to try if you for some reason have hardened brown sugar, if you just kept it in a bag in the box or whatever in your, in your, in your cabinet. Um, so breadcrumbs is, is an, is a ingredient in this recipe. Uh, again, I, li I liked what she, she talked about here. She had Paul say, you know, you want to use bread. That's basically a day old, right? You know, so it's a day old bread. It, you don't want something that's like two weeks, you know, that's much older, uh, cause it'll be a lot drier. And when you put that in the food processor, it, it pulverizes it to really, really small pieces, like too fine. Day old bread is about right to give you that right texture and crumbliness while keeping the the uh the crumb size a little bigger. So she wanted it that's very specific about that. Uh this again, she used that parchment foil, I call it. You know, it's that you know, foil lined parchment paper. Uh again, she said if you don't have that, you can use parchment paper and then foil on top of it. So I think she, there was a reason to have the foil in this case for the cook. Cause this, this, you may basically make this stuff in a bowl that you've covered with this parchment foil sitting in a hot water bath is kind of the thing you, and this is one of those ones. Uh, <laughs> she does the Mary Berry, uh, you know, make a concoction with foil trick she's got like a little cradle thing to to lift and and lower the bowl into the into the hot water that would make me so nervous that you know foil 
there's a little tiny tear in that foil. It's just going to kind of let go. And I get a little nervous about that. I would use something a little more robust, I think. But she shows that you can make it um, if, if you want to trust the uh, the foil hoist, uh, they say. Uh, now, the, again, with this one here, this is one of those deals. It takes It's a seven-hour water bath bake. And she says check it every every bit for this, but I don't know. That's such a long bake. I don't think I'm making that. <laughs> just like I'm sorry. Christmas pudding may have to may have to go on hold. But if you want to do it, just get ready for the um the time commitment because it's it's several hours of this water bath. And you have to make sure that this that if it starts to boil off, add more water to it. Uh, to kind of keep the the height right on that. She said you want to check it and make sure it's browning right. I don't know. Uh, wasn't too much guidance given on that. I wish they'd shown some time lapse uh, of doneness so we could kind of know what what you know. Yeah, you're on track if it looks like this at three hours or whatever, right? Um, I, I gotta give okay. I gotta criticize Paul, and I know he does this. I know they have a love lovely relationship or did I guess. He keeps cracking the old jokes, you know, she'll talk about when I was, you know, but she'll, she'll make something, she'll make a comment about these are very common in the Victorian area. And Paul will say like, oh, like when you're a kid, Mary, <laughs> you can tell she just will pause for a minute or, you know, a few seconds and then say, ah, you're getting cheeky, aren't you? Right. I don't know. I, I didn't like it. I don't know. Paul, I'm going to give you a little, not these listening to me here, but. Uh, I kind of wish he'd lay off the old jokes and stuff. Someday he'll be there too. Um, and maybe they have that kind of relationship. I don't know. I, I don't think doing that kind of stuff in public is really a good look. But anywho's, I guess, you know, I'm a joker too, I guess. So I know I get caught and I sometimes I'll over joke and, you know, but then, then you know, when I, when I realize I've done it, I'm kind of embarrassed by it. So I'm hoping this is, you know, I would hope I would surprise the producers and stuff kind of let those slide. I, I don't know. I don't think it's a great look. Anyways, we get to his final bake. He, what's he do? Chris, oh, a, a, a Christmas Chelsea bun. This is an interesting one. It's a, a Chelsea bun kind of recipe, um, but it's savory. So he it's Christmas leftover, leftovers, basically. So it's like Boxing Day Chelsea buns where you use the cranberry sauce, the stuffing, as well as uh, leftover turkey um, to kind of, to fill these Chelsea buns with. And so, I don't know, this was, this is one of the big takeaways on this recipe. Uh, we're essentially around when making these doughs, again, it's a, for, for Paul, it's about, you know, getting your hands in it again. So you can feel it. How much the, the whole point was how much liquid do you need? Well, you never know how much liquid you need for a bake. It's kind of the, the point. You just have to kind of feel it. And so that's why he uses his hands so much. And I, my criticism again is that he does it. He's, he's, he's kind of mixing it in there, puts a little water, mixes it all in there, gets it. And he lifts up the sticky kind of mass. They said, yeah, that feels about right. And I'm like, but what feels, what am I looking for here? I, I, I still didn't get the, what, what the look and feel should be. He's kind of saw it. And I'm like, I don't know, stretch it or something. Should give me some kind of guidance on this. Uh, I guess you kind of just got to do it until you, until you figure it out, I suppose. But um, they do their best, I guess, to show these things. I just struggled with a little bit. Uh, so again, he, 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 he takes this, this, this big ball of sticky looking dough, kind of slaps it into the flour and then kind of rolls it in there. Now, Mary makes a point to mention, oh, you're, it's, it's, you're adding quite a bit of flour back in me. He said, yeah, this is an enriched dough. So it's okay to use that bench flour. I'm okay with it. So apparently the enriched doughs are a little more forgiving of, of flour addition because that was kind of what her comment was. And if you see the amount of flour he's, when he rolls the dough in it, it's a fair bit. You know, it's not like a tiny, tiny bit of flour. It's, it's a fair bit because it's a very sticky dough. And he gets it, it you know, she's showing kind of that texture you're looking for. And, and when do you start to, to roll it and just kind of get it worked? And then when do you start to stretch it and, and use your palm to stretch it out? Like the first movements were just kind of incorporation to get things, you know, so it's kind of in a, in a, 
a consistent, strong-looking ball, then he's using the stretch movement of that palm push, palm push. Uh, You're seeing that more after he does that initial kind of working in with just hands uh, before he's using the palm. Uh, Anyways, he rolls it out, and he does that tacking move again, and Mary makes note of it, where he's using the thumb to kind of tack it to the bench. Uh, It's important for this particular Chelsea bun move because the uh the way he rolls them up so he takes the 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 toppings he puts all the you know lays it with the uh cranberry sauce the stuffing the the turkey and whatever else he puts in there uh but then when he rolls it it's kind of a you kind of lift it off the bench you tug it a little bit and then you roll lift tug roll lift tug roll. and if it wasn't kind of tacked it would it would it would move. It potentially would move the dough. So that was why it was so important. He tacked it the whole length, like little thumb thumb smears along the whole length of the rolled out rectangle that he had. And so that was kind of the big takeaway when making these buns. If you want to get that nice, tight Chelsea bun uh, roll, tacking it down is, is kind of an important move. And then uh, once he gets it done, he, he kind of, you know, sprinkles down some more flour behind it, kind of lifts it off and puts that seam down uh, right on the flour again to kind of get it, uh, you know, well encoded. Then just, he cuts off the ends, sets them aside, kind of, and then makes kind of six even cuts on it. Those go into a dish, and voila, you have uh, the Boxing Day Chelsea buns, which they said Mary was like in love with them. She really, really, really liked them. And uh, so you get to kind of see her really enjoy something that Paul made uh, genuinely. And you can see it kind of in, in the way she did it. But so those were the bakes. Those were the bakes. Lots of uh, deliciousness. Uh, lots of different Christmas bakes that you can, you can take on and, and try for your own. Uh, and so um, next week, uh, probably going to dive in some more of these. I mean, these are kind of fun. I'm enjoying them. Uh, I've got... Um, you know, I may jump right back to season uh, one or two and see what they got for master classes. I think we took on one. Uh, what one did we do already in that other season? I think we did. Okay, season we did a season two one. Season one didn't have any, but they did have a wedding cake episode. I think that I believe was its was its own thing. I'm gonna investigate investigate that. So I may jump to season one and do the wedding cake one because. Cakes are something that I haven't done a ton of. I've done a couple of cakes. Um, I definitely want to try to get into some cake and some cake decorating. Um, uh, I'm a bit a little nervous with my decoration. I haven't, I did some tests and some playing around, um, but I'm interested to see what this episode's about. So I'm going to check that one out. If it's worth us uh, talking about, I'll do it. If not, I may jump to season two. I believe it's episode 10. They have another masterclass there. So uh, may jump into that and then uh, give us some feedback, folks. I hope you're liking these. I, I'm, I'm, I love talking about them. I love seeing what I can learn from from Paul and Mary, and then uh, you know, giving my take on it and, and talking about what it, what's uh, what's what's applicable to to my baking journey. Uh, would love to hear what you think. Uh, send it my way, Instagram or uh, scrummyhandshakes at gmail.com. Either one of those work. Uh, and let me know your take on it. And until next time, we'll see you on Scrummy Handshakes.